Jesus said to his disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, raised his hands and blessed them. As he blessed them, he parted from them and was taken up to heaven. They did him homage and then returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. Today we celebrate the feast of the ascension of Jesus into heaven. I can't help but remember a number of years ago when I actually uh, was able to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, on the outskirts there, there was a church built over the place where it's believed that Jesus actually uh, ascended into heaven, as we heard in our first reading and also in our gospel reading. It's a little bit funny, but uh, if you ever get to go there, you will see probably at least half of the pilgrims will be staring up in the sky because they said that's where it happened. And it's a little comical because they ex still expect maybe to see something. We hear um, the, the ascension of Jesus into heaven in our opening prayer. It's, it's our exaltation. The ascension of Jesus into heaven is your exaltation. And I'll explain a little bit of what that means uh, to us. Uh, so uh, first I'd like to uh, just talk about what we believe heaven uh, to be. And so uh, sometimes people will mistakenly think that heaven is a place uh, somewhere in the cosmos or in the universe. Like if you had a rocket ship, you could follow Jesus and go up into the sky and maybe somewhere distant from earth to actually find a place called heaven. This is not the church's teaching nor the understanding of the church. Uh, that heaven is a real place, but it's not a place that we can go and find um, in our universe. It's, it's kind of, it's separate. And so although Jesus ascended bodily up into the sky, uh, heaven is a place uh, that we cannot find in our universe. And it is there that Jesus, it says, takes his seat at God's right hand. And so one of my favorite icons, um, how many of you have seen it, is called Rubilov's Trinity. Any of you see that icon? It's a beautiful icon that depicts the Trinity. Um, there are three angels that are seated around the table. And one of the angels, uh, if you follow the outline of that angel's hand on the table, 
it makes the, the wing of like a dove. And that angel represents the Holy Spirit. The angel in the center represents God the Father. And the angel to the left um, is, represents Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing about this icon is in the center of the table, there is a, a chalice being offered, a chalice of wine. And we immediately think of the Eucharist. And this table, the angels or the Trinity, is seated very close to one another, but there's an opening. And as the believer stands in front of this icon and looks at it, that opening at the table is an invitation for you into the very heart of God, to enter into that table and be seated uh, with the Trinity. And it's there being presented through the blood of Christ. Jesus, when he ascends into heaven, he takes with him all of his humanity. He doesn't leave his humanity behind on earth and emerge, as it were, from a cocoon and go up into heaven and leave the shell of his body below. He, he ascends bodily into heaven. And so Jesus does not leave any of his humanity uh, behind. Uh, one of my priest friends, Father Parks, recently asked me, is there anything man-made in heaven? And I thought, of course not. And he says, ah, you're wrong. The, the wounds of Christ are man-made, and Christ bears those wounds in heaven. So he takes with him everything, all of his humanity, even his suffering. He takes it all with him to heaven. And this is our exaltation, our exaltation because now in the heart of, of heaven is uh, uh, our, human, our human nature. Our human nature is now a part of heaven through Jesus Christ. And so that is our exaltation. And we have access to the Father. No longer do we have to go to a temple in Jerusalem and have a veil, something that prevents us from entering into that Holy of Holies. Uh, but our human nature, linked through Christ, is in the Holy of Holies and in heaven itself. And so sometimes people will speak as if heaven we're spatially separated from us. Somebody might say, I feel very distant from God. Or maybe somebody will say, I feel very close to God. Um, what they mean is a, a spiritual reality, that God is always uh, with us. And sometimes we might feel that we are far from God, but it doesn't mean that God is any farther away from us uh, spatially. And so heaven is this beautiful place that Jesus ascended to, and he brought with him his hu humanity, his human nature. And that's our exaltation. As the opening prayer said, where he has gone, uh, we hope to follow. Also, as Jesus came down to earth, he is also now present in a way that he wasn't present when he walked the earth. Uh, through the sending of the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus is present uh, to us all the time in our hearts, in our prayers, uh, but most especially in the Eucharist. And as he has promised to be with us, even to the end of time, Jesus keeps that promise literally. 
because in every tabernacle of every Catholic church, Jesus is present to us, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so we, we never have to go too far uh, from knowing where to, we can find Jesus. We can find Jesus in the sacrament, but we also find him in our hearts because he sent the Holy Spirit upon us and through our baptism and confirmation, that Holy Spirit always makes the Lord present to us. And we can offer our sufferings, our sacrifices in union with him. It's a very important part of the Mass when the priest says, pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. And so we unite our sacrifices with the Lord as he is present in our bodies. St. Paul, when he had been persecuting Christians, encountered the Lord, the Lord said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, I'm not persecuting you. Well, when you persecute the church, is the body of Christ. And so Christ is present to us. And so he didn't leave us abandoned, uh, but he brings our human nature into heaven in a sense, exalting all of human nature. It's interesting the way that Roman Catholics often view heaven as compared to, say, the Orthodox Church. In the Roman Catholic Church, it's very common for someone to say that heaven is to be in the presence of God. And hell, oftentimes a Roman Catholic will say that hell must be the absence of God. But could we ever truly be absent from God's presence? If he created the universe and all that there is, isn't God present everywhere? And so the Orthodox have a very interesting view of hell. I went to a conference not too long ago where an Orthodox gave a, uh, a, a reflection and he said that in their view, hell is in the heart of heaven because no one can be separated from God's love and his mercy and the demons find it hell because God's love burns them. God's mercy burns them. They don't understand it. They don't receive it. And so in the heart of heaven, they shut their eyes because they are burned by God's love, God's presence all around. And so maybe sometimes we might feel far from God, but know the reality of this, that God is very present to you. And all we need to do is open our hearts and say, God, I want you in my life. I need you to strengthen you and to receive the power of God's grace, his love and mercy that he wants to fill your heart with by sin, by closing ourselves off to God's grace, not being in a state of grace, we, we limit the amount of love that God wants to give us. We limit it. I think it was, I'm not sure if it was St. Uh, Teresa of Avila, but she said the difference between a saint and a sinner is that a saint comes before God with a barrel. I think one of those giant, like, 50-gallon barrels and the sinner comes to God with just a little thimble, able to receive God's uh, mercy or God's blessing that he wants to flood us with. And so that is a beautiful image in that opening prayer that Jesus' ascension into heaven is our exaltation, and that he goes to heaven not to abandon us, but to be present to us everywhere, even here on earth. 
This reading of the Ascension is a great reading because it shows us just how much Jesus loves and trusts us. You know, Jesus could have chosen, I suppose, if he wanted to, that he could have stayed here forever and led the church himself personally here on earth. But he didn't choose to do that. He wanted to leave the church and the gospel mission to his disciples. And I think this shows a great deal of trust that Jesus entrusted this great responsibility to you and to me, to the church, that we would continue the mission of proclaiming the gospel that he proclaimed. One of the basic things that a father will do when teaching his son is to eventually let his son do those things on his own. I remember when I was trying to learn how to ride a bike and I finally wanted to you know, take off the training wheels do they even still use training wheels today? Uh, I remember my dad was running behind the bike, and I didn't realize he let go, and I was doing it. And I turned around and saw that he was, you know, like 20 feet behind me, and I realized that I was doing it. But every father wants to show his son how to do something and then, and then let him do it. I remember going fishing with my father and not wanting to touch the worm or to stick it with the hook. But eventually my dad said, if you want to do this, you got to learn how to do this on your own. And so Jesus, by leaving his disciples to care for the gospel mission, he's counting on us to grow in our faith and knowledge and in our courage to stand up for the truth and to go out and to proclaim that truth in our world. I found myself, and I bet that anyone who's been involved in a ministry of any kind would agree with me, and that is that when you get involved in a ministry of the church, Jesus' mission, you often get back far more than what you put into it. So many times I've visited the hospital to anoint a sick person and spend some time with them or with their family and feel like I was the one who was being ministered to. I'd be willing to bet that anyone involved in ministry has felt that way, that they have received more than what they gave. And I think this might be something about what St. Francis was talking about when he says that it is in giving that we receive. I can, always, I can also say that I do not always have the answers to every religious question that people bring to me. I often have to prepare myself for a talk that I'm asked to give or to give a homily and to have to read a lot and research myself to prepare myself. And in doing this, I find that I'm learning probably more than the people who are receiving from my homily or my talk. I often find that I'm preaching to myself. And I only hope that I'm normal enough that other people will get something out of it as well. Jesus wants us, each of us, to be involved and to participate in the life of the church and proclamation of the gospel. He has promised to be with us always through the Holy Spirit, even to the end of time. I hope that all of us, all of us, that we can say yes to God and that we are doing our part to be in mission, to bring the gospel to the world. Some people will even walk across the country uh, to make a point. Maybe you might not be asked to do something like that, but each of us is called to participate in the message. And what was the message of the early church? What was the message that the, that the disciples went out 
and preached and so many people began to believe in Jesus. And that message was known as the kerygma and there are seven basic parts to it. And each of us is called to participate in that kerygma, the message of proclaiming the gospel. I'll go through the, the seven with you rather quickly. The first one, the first kerygma is that God loves you and has a plan for your life. God loves you and has a plan for your life. There are people in this world who are desperately uh, depressed. They feel that life has no meaning. They need to hear this kerygma, this good news, that they are loved by God and God has a plan for them. The second thing is that sin has interrupted that plan. The original sin and our own sin has interrupted God's plan for our life. The third message in the kerygma is that God sent his son Jesus, the Christ, to die and to restore us to God, that we have a redeemer. The fourth, we are called to repent from our sins and to turn back to God. The Greeks called this metanoia, to have a conversion, to turn back our lives towards God. Number five, be baptized. We're called to be baptized because we need these three theological virtues in our life. And when you're baptized, you receive them. Faith, faith in God, hope, hope in eternal life, and charity, the agape, that we're made in the image and likeness of God's love. Number six, we are called to unite ourselves to the body of Christ, that is the church, and through the body of Christ to receive spiritual nourishment, the sacraments. And the final kerygma is that you yourself are called to go out and make disciples. Back in the days of the old Wild West, it's nice to live in Arizona and tell this story. Back in the days of the old Wild West, people used to travel around by stagecoach with horses. And while riding the stagecoach, you could have one of three kinds of tickets, first class, second class, and third class. If you have a first class ticket, it means that you can remain seated through the entire journey. Even if the coach gets stuck in mud and other people have to get out, you don't have to move a muscle. You have a second class ticket, it means that you have to get out of the coach, but you don't have to help at all. You can just sit by the sidelines and watch. But if you have the cheapest ticket, if you have the third class ticket, then it means that if the if the coach gets stuck in mud, you have to get out, roll up your sleeves, stand in the mud, and help get it unstuck. What kind of ticket are you holding? If you're holding a first-class ticket, then you will make everyone work while you do nothing to help and even add your own weight to their burden having to, to pick you up. Do you have a second-class ticket where you're a great observer? offer great advice, but do little yourself to help the situation? Or are you one of those third-class ticket holders where you're a part of the solution, helping wherever you can, even getting dirty when necessary? A good question for us is to ask, what kind of ticket do you think Jesus had? He says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. What kind of ticket then should a disciple of Jesus have. The Feast of the Ascension shows us the trust that Jesus has in each of us by giving the great mission to his church of proclaiming the gospel. 
He challenges each of us to grow personally in our own faith, then to roll up our sleeves and to get busy and proclaim the message he proclaimed, the kerygma. When Jesus ascended into the heavens, it is said that the angels appeared suddenly and said to the disciples, why are you standing there looking up in the sky? Go and get busy. Let us go and get busy and proclaim the kerygma and receive Jesus' love and be exalted knowing that our humanity, our human nature is a part of the Trinity in heaven, knowing that God is always with us everywhere and there, there is nowhere that we can go where we will not find his presence. Amen.